Fix your thoughts. Philippians 4, verse 8 is our verse for this series. It says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Love this verse. Uh, I think that besides Jesus, the most important relationship that you have in your life will not be with a spouse or children. It will actually be with your own thoughts. Because nothing will influence the course of your life more so than your thoughts. And I just have to propose that there could be some people who are here tonight who have been in an abusive relationship with their own thoughts. Maybe trapped in abusive, negative thoughts that are fearful and anxious and worried all the time. And so I want to talk to you about conquering anxious thoughts tonight. Fear is a response to actual danger, and there is real danger in this world. When we get into scary situations, it's normal to be afraid. Maybe you've been in a car accident, or you got into a fight. You know, I used to get in fights all the time back in the day before Jesus, you know, and in those moments, your adrenaline starts pumping, or you get scared, and you start breathing more quickly, or sweating. It's your body kind of getting ready for fight or flight. It's interesting, doctors say that if you live your life in an ongoing state of severe fear, it can cause serious health problems for you. You can have a weakened immune system, heart disease, digestion problems, decreased fertility, and even premature death. Fear can cause death, which I think is really ironic. If you spend too much time worrying about dying, you could die. <laughs> like, that's kind of a sick sense of humor, but it's funny. Uh, in Isaiah 41, verse 10, we read this. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So God is saying this. Sometimes there is danger in our lives. Sometimes there is risk. There's threats. But God says, you don't have to fear those threats because I am with you. Even though the danger is real, I'm with you and I'm greater than the danger. And that's what gives us hope that we don't have to be afraid no matter what we're going through. Now, doctors then talk about anxiety a little differently than fear. It's a little different. It's kind of a vague sense of dread or nervousness over, watch this, an unknown or imagined threat. Anxiety will cause some of the same effects of fear sometimes, but usually in a more subtle way. And usually when we're anxious, we say things like, I'm worried. I'm worried. I'm stressed out. And some of the physical responses to anxiety can be muscle tension and headaches and emotional swings and depression and even sleeplessness. I heard a joke about sleeplessness um, about these two crazy Cajuns, Boudreaux and Thibodeau. And they volunteered to coach their local Little League team. And when it was time for the team to travel, nobody wanted to room with Coach Boudreaux because he snored. You know anybody who snores in your life? Yeah. So they decided to split the nights up and take turns. The first night, Coach Thibodeau had to sleep with Coach Boudreaux in that room. And so when the lights went out, Boudreaux started snoring. And Thibodeau comes down to the breakfast room the next morning, and his eyes are bloodshot, and he's tired. And they ask him, how'd it go? And he said, not good. As soon as we turned the lights out, Boudreaux started snoring. And I just sat there on the bed and watched him all night long. The next night, it was Coach Pierre's turn. And 
he went to sleep in the same room as Boudreaux, and he comes down the next morning, and they asked him, how'd it go? And he said, well, we turned the lights out, Boudreaux started snoring, and I just sat there on the bed and watched him all night long. And then the third night, Coach Guidry had to sleep in the room with Coach Boudreaux, and he comes down the next morning to the breakfast room, and he's looking bright-eyed and wide awake and happy, and they're like, well, what happened? And he said, before I turned the lights out, I went over and I tucked Boudreaux in, and then I gave him a kiss right on the forehead, and he watched me all night long. Yeah, because he was anxious. <laughs> right? What might happen? <laughs> See, most of our anxiety isn't even because of actual danger, but us worrying about things that could happen. Isn't that silly? There are common things that we all worry about. We worry about our own personal well-being. We worry about ourselves. We worry about our safety. If you've ever gone walking down a, a dark road in the city at night, you've maybe worried that someone will jump out of the bushes and attack you. We worry about getting sick. And what will happen, a common thing is people worry about their place in the world. Um, will they find their purpose? People worry, will I be respected or successful? Will I find happiness? We worry about our finances. I hear that all the time. You know, I'm worried about having enough, enough to pay my bills, enough for retirement. Maybe there are people who are depending on you financially, like employees or parents who you're supporting or kids who won't move out of your house. <laughs> and you're worried. Uh, and, and then I think we worry about our loved ones' well-being, that our friends, our family, our spouses will be healthy and safe and okay, and we worry about them. I know what it's like. I've been there. When I was married to Amy at first, I used to worry about her. Just as her husband, I wanted to protect her. I wanted to keep her safe, and if I'm being honest, whenever she would leave the house, I'd get a little bit anxious about her safety, and I'd worry, like, is she going to be okay? What if, what if something happens? And, and every time she would call me, I'd get a little anxious, like, is she okay? Did something happen? I would just assume the worst, honestly, but nothing ever happened, right? Like, she was okay. She's like, I'm a target. Do you need any toothpaste? And I'm like, girl, I'm worried about you. Like, it went on for years. I actually went and talked to a counselor about it. And, and so I'm not worrying about her anymore as much, I guess. I, I, I do sometimes. It's just, it's just the way it goes. It's funny how much in life we hate spoilers. Maybe you've read online, you know, like, spoiler alert. Or you wanted to see a movie and people are like, hey, hey don't tell me spoilers. I don't want to know. I don't want to know what happens because we don't want to know. We want to we wanna be excited and, and have fun, not knowing. That's more, that's more fun, which is funny because when it comes to our own lives, we hate uncertainty. We hate not knowing what's going to happen to us. We want to know exactly what's going to happen to us because uncertainty about our own lives makes us anxious. It's a part of life, but it makes us anxious. And so we ask questions like, well, what if this happens? What if people don't like me? When, when is this going to happen? Why did this happen? We're uncertain and that makes us anxious and worried. So the Bible talks about some of the things that we're uncertain about. And it says this, I studied this kind of phrase, I found this phrase 19 times in the Bible. It says this phrase, no one knows. Here's a phrase. Like, you wanted to know all about your life? Here's what the Bible says. No one knows. I'll give you some examples. It says in Deuteronomy 21, no one knows who committed certain crimes. Like, we won't always catch the bad guys. Ecclesiastes says, no one knows who, go to, who goes to heaven and who doesn't. No one knows what will happen in the future. Right? The pundits, the people talking on TV, they don't know. No one knows what's best for another person's life. 
so you don't have to fix everyone else because no one knows. No one knows if other people will love them or hate them. Like, we wish everyone would like us, but you don't really know what's going to happen. People will tell me, like, I don't want to go to life group. I'm scared. What if people don't like me? And I'm like, they'll probably like you, but hey. I mean, like, no one knows. (laughs) It's worth a shot. No one knows his appointed time to die. I've, I've noticed that nobody plans on dying young. But no one knows their appointed time to die. That's why it's so important not to wait to make sure you have the right relationship with Jesus that you need to have in order to gain eternal life. Because no one knows their time to die. Matthew says, Jesus is saying, no one knows when he, Jesus, is going to return. So if anyone tries to tell you they know when Jesus is going to return, that's a red flag that they are not trustworthy. Because Jesus said no one knows. 1 Corinthians 2, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. People ask all the time, why does this happen? Why did God let that happen? Why does God let that happen? Here, as a pastor, I want to tell you, no one knows (laughs) except for God. A lot of the stuff we want to know, the Bible says no one knows. Now, there are some things we do know, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But here's another thing the Bible tells us. It says, do not worry. This is for you. It says, do not worry. It says it a lot in Genesis 45. It says, don't worry about your possessions. Like someone stole my stuff or my car car broke down. What am I going to do? Don't worry. Matthew 10, don't worry about what to say. Some people are afraid of public speaking. One survey said that public speaking was certain people's number one fear, even more than death. So that means that for some people, if they go to a funeral, they'd rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. But don't worry about what to say. God will give you the words. Luke 12 says, don't worry about defending yourself. Man, we live in a day when people can talk bad about you online and say all kinds of things that aren't true, or they might gossip about you the old-fashioned way and say bad things about you. And it's tempting for us to want to defend ourselves. But God says, don't worry about defending yourself. God is your defender. 1 Corinthians 7 says, don't worry about being treated unfairly by society. God is the one who will give you justice. It's okay to fight for for human rights and and justice, but God is ultimately the one that gives us justice. Matthew 24 says, don't worry about wars and rumors of war. There's always somebody fighting someone up in here, right? Like Matthew 6 says, don't worry about tomorrow, what you're going to eat or drink, your body, or what you're going to wear, or even your life. So somebody's going to quit their diet tonight. I know it because God said, don't worry about my body, so I should eat what I want. (laughs) Second Timothy, I love this passage, says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love and a sound mind. So if you have a spirit of fear, I need you to understand that that didn't come from God. Fear does not come from God. The reality is that in life you will experience difficult times. And you will experience good times. And I think those of you who are older, who have lived for a while, have gone through the seasons of difficulty and the seasons of blessing. And you know, you have a better perspective than some of the young folks about hard times and good times. And so I want to read Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It says, For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to harvest. A time to grieve and a time to dance. A time to embrace 
and a time to turn away, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet and a time to speak, a time for war and a time for peace, a time to diet and a time to gain weight. No, I'm just kidding. That was, that was me. And so verse 11 said, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. In other words, let me translate that. We're uncertain about what's happening sometimes. So then here's what the wisest person who's ever lived has written by the influence of the Holy Spirit. So I concluded there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. Come on, somebody. God wants you to be happy and enjoy yourself while you can because there will be hard times, but then there will also be good times. You'll go through difficult things, but you'll also experience a lot of good things. And so God wants you to know when you're in the middle of a season of goodness, enjoy it. And when you go through a difficult season, it's okay to ask God for help or to mourn and to trust God to get you through it. But when good times come, celebrate it and enjoy every last second. See, I think what this passage highlights to us is why would we waste the time when we should be enjoying good things in our life, worrying about bad things that might not even come into our lives? It's a waste, and I hope this will help someone. Next time you start to worry and be anxious about something that might happen or could happen, I hope you'll stop yourself and say, why am I worrying about what could happen when this is a time for me to enjoy all the good things that have happened? Why should I worry about tomorrow's war when I could be enjoying today's peace? Why would I worry about the next economic downturn when I could enjoy this season of prosperity? Don't worry about what might happen. Enjoy the season of blessing that you're in. Matthew 6, Jesus said, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. You don't need to worry about tomorrow. It'll worry about itself. You got enough things to do today. Don't worry about tomorrow. We're not supposed to be anxious and fearful the way that we so often are. And I think sometimes that we get so anxious, we don't enjoy all the good things in life that God gave us, and that's not what he wants. He wants your life to be filled with joy. He wants you to see all the blessing in your life. He wants you to trust him not to worry. So I think we need to change the way that we think about uncertainty. Uncertainty is a part of life, not knowing what will happen? One author said, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. That's true. When I was younger and I wasn't as mature in my faith, when crazy things happen, I get worried and anxious and I'm like nervous. Now when crazy things happen, I get excited because I know it's going to be a great sermon illustration someday. <laughs> this is the way you look at things. Changes, Right? We need to change the way we think about uncertainty. I, I have to kind of get a little philosophical for a second. It's so genius how God created us. He created us in a way that we don't know everything that's going to happen. But he could have. Think about that. He could have made it so that you come out of the womb with a little manual that tells you all the details about what's going to happen in your life. 
where you'll go to school and what grades you'll get and where you'll work when you grow up and who you'll marry and how many kids you'll have and what ages they'll be and and then like who when you're when people are going to come into your life or or even when they're going to leave your life and even God could have told you in advance when you'll die and we think, well, that would be really convenient. Why doesn't he do that? And I don't know, but I would suggest it's because we couldn't handle it. Like, just think about it. Could we really handle knowing everything that would happen in our lives? I think we would just self-destruct. I think we'd stop trying. We'd stop praying. Why should I try? I know I'm going to get a C in this class anyway. We'd stop loving people. Well, why should I love her? I know what she's going to do to me in three years and four months. Only God is good enough to know everything and still love us. And so he allows us to live our lives with a certain degree of uncertainty because I think by design he wants us to have to bring our needs to him in prayer and ask for his help. He wants us to take risk and be bold and go on an adventure with him. And let me say it this way. He wants you to live by faith, not by sight. He wants you to trust that he's good. But Ryan, all this stuff is happening in my life, and I know, I know you've got stuff. Some of you are worried about paying bills. Some of you have drama going on. Some of you have friends who are sick, or maybe you're dealing with some kind of physical issue. And I, I would say this to you. I think we usually overestimate the actual danger and underestimate God's goodness. Just let that sink in for a minute. How many times have you gone through something and you thought, this is the end of my life. I'm going to be ruined. No one will ever like me again. I'll never have friends again. I'm going to be bankrupt. I'm going to let my family down. People will think I'm a joke. And then on the other side of that problem, you look back on it and you say, yeah, it wasn't that big of a deal. Like how often? It happens all the time. You look back on it and you say, it wasn't even that bad. It turned out way better than I thought it would have. And then I think this happens as a Christian. You look back on the thing that you thought was going to take you down and you realize God actually used that thing to lift you up. I think this is what we usually overestimate the danger and underestimate God's goodness and his ability to turn bad situations into blessings. So God does let us live our lives with a degree of uncertainty, but he also gives you enough truth in the Bible about things that will happen that you don't have to live with anxiety. He doesn't give you a manual with every detail about your life, but he does give you a manual for life with everything that you need to know. It's called the Bible. So we talked about what we don't know, but the Bible says there are also many things that we do know. It says in Psalm 56, this I know. God is for me. How many of you know God is for you? He's not against you. Deuteronomy says God will never leave you. Philippians says God will supply all your needs according to his riches. Romans 6 says you're no longer slaves to sin. You're not trapped in sin. Romans 13 says salvation is nearer to you now than when you first believed. You're that much closer. First John says, you know love because Jesus laid his life down for you. Some of you worry about ever being loved. You know love because Jesus laid his life down for you. John 11 says, if you believe in Jesus, you will never die. You don't even have to be afraid of dying. Second Timothy says, when it's all said and done, we will rule and reign with Jesus forever. We know this is true. 
See, the word of God gives us so much certainty about what really matters, including spoilers, but the good kind. The word of God tells you that in the end, we win. Yeah, your journey will be different. Some of you will go through some hard times and good times. But in the end, I already know we win. We're victorious. We are the champions, my friend. So keep on fighting till the end. Amen. By God's grace. I just made that up. I typically hate spoilers, but not this kind, right? I do, I do typically hate spoilers, like especially as a pastor during football season. You know, I'm preaching about Jesus, and you know, that's, that's what I got to do. It's my privilege, but I have to DVR the Cardinals football games. And I've told our church, like, please don't ruin it for me. Don't tell me what's going to happen, you know, because I want to go home, and I want to watch it, and I want to I be surprised. But inevitably, someone who lacks sense will just ruin it for me with spoilers. Like, hey, pastor, hey, we won. And I'm like, ha I hate you. <laughs> right? But, but because I'm a, a, a fan, I'll go home and I'll watch the game. Like, I want to still see it for myself. And it's funny because even knowing that we win, I'll still become frustrated when bad plays happen. Like, if we make a turnover, I'll get like frustrated. Like, oh, come on. But even though I'm frustrated, I don't really panic because we win, right? Like, and I know we win. And then when good things happen, I still get excited. But I'm not that surprised because, hey, I already knew that we were going to win. And I think it's the same with your life. Like, you already know the outcome of your life. And you, and you have to still live it. You have to go through the ups and downs, but because you know the outcome, when bad things do happen, when scary things come along, you don't have to fear. You don't have to have a panic attack because you already know, hey, we win. And when good things happen, you can be amazed, but you shouldn't be surprised because you already knew that God's for you and you're victorious, right? I love that knowing the outcome gives us peace. We don't have to fear because we already know we win. And so we can actually do this. Philippians 4 verse 6 says, don't worry about anything. And, and by anything, God means anything. Instead, pray about everything. Big things, little things. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So let me ask you this. Like, who do you talk to when you're anxious? Your mom, a counselor, a pastor? Well, in what order, in what part of that scenario, like, when do you actually then talk to God? I'm asking you just to think about it. Like when things go wrong in your life, when you're worried, at what point do you stop and pray telling God what you need? I think a lot of us wait too long. Sometimes we wait to, as a last resort to talk to God once we've tried to do everything that we can do to fix the problem. Can I just tell you, if I'm being honest, I love you. I want to say this. You would worry less if you talk to God more. It's true for every single one of us. I would worry less if I just talked to God more. Yeah. 
And I love what this says. Tell God what you need. He cares about your needs. But then quickly it tells us, thank him for what he has done. Just stop and thank him for what he's already done in your life. Don't worry about the situation, but thank him for what he's done. God, thank you because you gave me that job. Uh, You gave me my family. Uh, You gave me this home. You brought me to the best church in ever Arizona. Um, I'm just thanking you for the things that come to my mind randomly in no particular order, right? Because by thanking him for the good things that he's already done, you're reminding yourself that he's already done so many good things for you, and that would lead you to have faith that he can continue doing good things for you, right? I think the logic is this. If he did it for you before, he can do it for you again. If he gave you the blessing, he can help you keep the blessing, And even if you lose it, he can bring it back. (laughs) That's why you should thank him for all the good things that he's done. He promised to help me, and he did it before. I believe he can do it again. Knowing that we win, it brings peace, and that peace guards your heart and your mind. Listen, I'm all for talking to counselors. I think it's great. More people should talk to counselors. I have no problem with people taking medication for anxiety. I, I think there are some people who should probably take medication. I'm fine with it. There's nothing wrong with a Christian doing that. But listen, nothing beats the peace of God guarding your heart and your mind. He can give you peace that protects you against worry and doubt and fear when stressful things come up. Galatians 6 verse 7 says that you will always harvest what you plant. You will reap What you sow. Have you heard that verse before, anybody? Okay, so as a gardener, you get to determine what you'll grow based on what you plant. Okay, so do we have any gardeners in the house tonight? That's awesome. I admire you. I've already killed several plants in my backyard this summer. You have to water them, I found out. Yeah, it's important. So as Christians, you get to kind of cultivate your own life, and determine what you'll grow. I want to ask you this. Do you want to grow fear or faith? It's an important question. It's up to you. It's your choice. Do you want to grow fear? Because you're going to be the one who determines if your life is filled with fear. Or do you want to grow faith? Because you get to choose to have faith. Because I want to be fair, I'm going to teach you how to do both. First, I'm going to teach you how to grow fear. Here's how to grow fear. Just bear with my sarcasm for a minute. Here's how to grow your fear. First, plant seeds of fear. You got to make sure you consume lots of scary information about all the dangers in the world. You should probably watch the news every single day. That way you'll stay up to speed on all the wars that are happening and and the economic collapse that's going to come and the racial tension and and all that stuff. That's very important. Do you know that 90% of news stories are negative? Because psychologists know that we're more likely to pay attention to a negative story. So 90% of news stories are negative. They want you to keep watching so that they can make more money off of advertising. And meanwhile, we're becoming increasingly anxious. So, but you should do that. If you want to grow fear, watch the news. And then for all the moms, I want to say this. Read blogs and follow Instagram accounts of moms with no scientific training who will teach you all the ways that you're going to kill your kids. 
because you're probably feeding them the wrong foods and you got them on the wrong sleep schedules and probably the toys you gave them are actually dangerous. So you got to follow these people and that way you'll constantly be nervous about killing your kids and being a terrible parent. It's very important. And, And then make sure that all the entertainment you consume is terrifying. You should watch lots of horror movies. You should watch true crime television and then imagine how these scenarios could happen in your life. <laughs> Plant those seeds of fear and then you've got to do this. Once you've planted, you've got to water those seeds of fear with a generous dose of victim mentality. You've got to believe you're a victim and that you'll always be a victim. If you've been treated bad in the past, you've got to believe you'll always be treated bad. You've got to believe as a victim that if it can go wrong, it'll go wrong for you. If a meteor falls out of the sky, it'll probably land on your head. If a sinkhole opens up, it'll probably swallow your house because you're a victim. Victims know that's how it goes. Victims also love conspiracy theories. So you can't trust anyone, your parents, the government, scientists, pastors, businesses, politicians. Everything is a giant conspiracy and you know better because you read blogs. Victims know everyone is actually out to get them. So if you want plenty of fear, just believe you're a victim. And then third, you got to do this. You got to avoid the truth that God speaks. If you want to grow fear, you need to avoid God's word, okay? Because all his promises will stunt the growth of the fear that you're trying to grow. You've got to avoid reading the Bible, you know, because it's got too much hope in it. You've got to avoid going to a life group because you can't have people walking around stomping all over the fear you're trying to grow with their encouragement and their hugs. And then this is important. You've got to attend church randomly only when you've got nothing better to do because you can't bring that, that little fear you've been growing into the presence of God where it will be messed up, right? So if you do this, if you consume lots of fear, plant those seeds, keep your victim mentality, avoid God's word, I promise you will grow a bumper crop of fear this year. But don't take my word for it, because remember, you can't trust anyone. So on the other hand, (laughs) if you want to grow your faith, I'll teach you how to do that. Okay, just do the opposite of everything I just said. Here's what it is, right? You want to grow your faith? Plant seeds of faith. So you got to think about things that are lovely and admirable. You can consume encouraging and positive things more than negative things. A little less death metal and a little more gospel music would do a lot of you some good. A little less gangster rap and a little more worship music could help some of you worry less. Uh, It's okay to read Christian novels or watch life-giving positive shows. It's okay to replace certain people in your life. You might have some fear mongers and some conspiracy theorists and negative people in your life who you need to replace with positive life-giving people who aren't crazy, you know? Instead of just reading the news and articles online, read the Bible. Listen to the Bible if you don't like to read. Listen to sermons that preach the Bible. (laughs) Just get the Bible in you because it's filled with God's promises for you and your future, that he loves you and that 
He's in control. And then once you plant seeds of faith, you've got to water the seeds of faith with plenty of victor mentality. Romans 8 says, we are more than conquerors. So you have to know this. You're not a victim. You're victorious because of Jesus. So victor, victors think differently, right? If you're a victor, you know that if a miracle can happen, by God, it'll happen for you. As a victor, you know you're not going to be just treated fairly, but you're going to be treated with God's favor. If anyone's going to get special treatment, it'll probably be you because you're victorious. Even when the enemy attacks, you're going to win because God is fighting for you. You're not going to just survive, but you're going to thrive because you're victorious. When you think like a victor, you know that even the things that look like setbacks are actually God setting you up to step up into a greater level of blessing. Man, some of you didn't even realize you've been thinking like victims. You're actually a victor. And then as your faith grows, protect it from pests and predators. Because the enemy prowls around like a lion. He wants to destroy you. He wants to put thoughts in your head that will destroy you. Thoughts of fear, anxiety. So you can protect yourself and your faith by surrounding yourself with God's people with people who will help you fix your focus if you get off track, people that will remind you God is bigger than your problems, and he loves you. Uh, It'll help you to protect your faith by coming to church on a weekly basis. And some of you didn't know this, but the definition of weekly is every seven days. (laughs) Yeah, it's true, right? Like, I, I know. I know some of, some of you like are new Christians and, and you're like, man, I've been doing so good. I've gone to church every month. <laughs> Listen, I would say it's really good for you to go every week. You're like, really? Every week? Why? Because there's an enemy who wants to destroy you. Just keep coming every week so that your faith can grow because a little bit of fear and anxiety might creep into your life occasionally. This is what happens. But when you come into God's presence with God's people, like we are right now, the presence of God just drives out fear. Fear cannot exist in the presence of God. So protect your faith, cultivate it. And if you do that, you'll grow your faith and faith will give you peace that overrides the circumstances of your life. I love what the Bible says. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all that he's done. And then the peace of God will flood your heart and your mind and protect it through Christ Jesus. It's so good for us. But do this. I think this is important. When you thank God for all he's done, make sure that you thank him for the empty grave of Jesus Christ. That's so important. It's critical. I'm going to explain that. First Peter says this as we close. It says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Watch this. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's so important. It's not because you're a perfect person. Right? It's because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. That means your inheritance is better than being FDIC insured. It's in heaven. It's safe. And through your faith, 
God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So watch, be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. Amen, someone? So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Here's why we don't need to fear. Here's why we don't need to have anxious thoughts rule over our lives. It's because ultimately God raised Jesus Christ from the grave. That's why. At the end of the day, that is the ultimate reason. That's your anchor in every storm. The empty tomb of Jesus proves once and for all that all of God's promises are trustworthy. One of the songs that we sang says this, for every fear, there's an empty grave. I love that line, right? Everything that we go through, the things that we worry about, the things that we're anxious about, man, all kinds of different things for you and for me. But for each one of these fears, there's an empty grave. Well, there's one, one that actually matters, the empty grave of Jesus Christ. Man, that means that no matter what you're going through, you can fix your thoughts and focus back on the empty tomb of Jesus. You might feel like you're all alone, but there is an empty grave that says you're not all alone. You might think you're broke, but there is an empty grave that says God will supply all your needs. And if he can raise Jesus from the dead, he can take care of you. So you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to fear. Whatever happens, you know, you're victorious. You win. You cannot lose because you stand with Jesus. He's alive. And so we trust him. We have hope. We have peace in the middle of every storm. And God wants that peace to guard your heart and your mind from anxious thoughts. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I just want to pray for you. I'm just going to pray and just pray with me. Pray, just lift up those anxieties to God and tell him, Lord, I'm giving you all my concerns. I'm giving you all my fears, all my anxieties. God, I bring these things to your feet and I surrender them to you. Listen, church, you were not meant to carry the burdens of life. Jesus is the one who will overcome the world. It's not your job to do that. So you can trust the Lord to take care of you. God, I pray for every anxiety that maybe is represented here tonight, every fear, every doubt, Lord. I pray that you will take away all of that anxiousness, all of that fear, all that worry, God. Remove it and replace it with a peace that comes from your spirit. God, as your people, we trust you. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to trust you even more in the days to come. We know that you've been good to us before, and so we can trust you to be good to us again. Your your promises are yes and amen. You love us. You will not forsake us. So God, as your people, help us. Help us to live this way. We thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.